Georgia football, it's number one. Alabama, some are saying it's back like it never left. And uh, Kentucky and Texas A&M, well, thanks for playing. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. We're at the midseason point, and today we will dole out some midseason awards and recognition around the SEC. We'll also look at the big moments squandered by Texas A&M, Kentucky, even Missouri. We'll have our weekly picks. First, John, before we get into the midseason awards, um, I guess let's let's start with a, a brief thought on Alabama, Texas A&M. I thought of all the SEC games, that was maybe the biggest on Saturday because it was the one that I thought was uh, it was a real toss-up. It would determine the direction of the SEC West this year. And afterwards, we heard, uh, uh, well, all that talk about A&M and all their talent. Where was it at? Alabama wins. Well, I don't know. I was there, and I thought A&M had plenty of talent. I thought at most positions, A&M was as good or better, but Alabama had the better quarterback play. Jalen Milrow had his best game of the season, and A&M's offensive line really struggled to handle Alabama after halftime, and I thought those two things were kind of the difference. Yeah, I've noticed that in the SEC all season. Offensive line play seems to be down for whatever reason. Maybe teams are putting their best big linemen on defense and recruiting process, or or maybe this is just a transitional year, but uh, – Alabama's offensive line hadn't been performing as well as expected for most of the first part of the season, but it came up it came up big against A&M against a really good defensive front. On the other hand, A&M, I mean, there were times when I was watching that game and I thought I was watching South Carolina and quarterback Spencer Rattler against Tennessee or against North Carolina, uh, where he's just – he takes a snap. Max Johnson, the Aggies quarterback, takes a snap and just starts backing up and chunking it. I mean, I'd like to know the percentage of throws he made off his back foot. Rarely did he have a chance to set up, go through his progressions, and follow through. It just wasn't available because Alabama was just storming through that offensive line. and Man, it made a Big difference in the game. A&M held up for a half, but uh, I was really wrong about that game. But how many times have, have has anybody been wrong about the Aggies? You always think the logic – it's like if you have a recurring nightmare. Like I have a recurring nightmare about tornadoes, okay? Mm-hmm. Maybe it goes back to watching The Wizard of Oz as a kid. <laughs> so – I'm in the middle of the street and I said, uh-oh, here comes a tornado. It's very vivid. And then I think, oh, wait a minute. No, this is just that recurring nightmare. I have a tornadoes. And then my next thought is, no, this time it is for real. So this time I thought A&M was for real. But it was a recurring nightmare. Yeah. Big, big game. Big flop. I just thought everything was in place, even though it was playing with a backup quarterback, albeit a proven one in clutch situations, started at LSU for a while. But you got 108,000 people there at Kyle Field. 
Alabama's just kind of so-so. It's not your typical Nick Saban team. Question marks all over the play by, place. And you pointed out about the talent. Clearly, Texas A&M had the most playmakers, but they didn't make plays. So here we go with another A&M flop. Yeah, the, the trouble for A&M is they, they open their eyes and this nightmare is very real. It doesn't end. I was uh, I was at the airport in Houston uh, waiting for my flight, and uh, there was some conversation among fans, and the line came up about football being a tough sport. And uh, one of the fans said, yeah, it's even – it's even tougher when you're a Texas A&M fan, and that's been the reality the last the last yeah. several seasons. Uh, we'll we'll get into some more A&M talk uh, as the show unfolds here, but let's let's dive into some of our midseason awards because we're at that point, mid October. A lot of teams have played six games now. We're at the we're at the midpoint. Let's hand out some hardware. Let's start. John, uh, I thought about starting with coaches, but let's start with players. It's a player sport. It's about the Jimmies and the Joes. So let's start with the players. About an offensive player of the year at the midseason within the SEC. We're just talking about the SEC. You got somebody in, in mind for your midseason offensive player of the year? I've got a couple of guys in mind. One, uh, Jaden Daniels of uh, LSU. Wasn't impressed with him against the in the loss to Florida State in the season opener, but since then he's been playing lights out. I mean, every time LSU needed something, and with its defense, it needs something a lot. Jaden Daniels would deliver against uh, Missouri. Uh, just he's always been a really good runner, but what's impressed me is in recent weeks is the touch on the ball. Uh, he's also he's throwing across the middle now too. It, it doesn't seem to matter the type of throw, intermediate, short, deep ball. He's really been in sync on all of them. So to me, he's the most obvious choice. I really don't know what to do with Brock Bowers of uh, Georgia. He's a tight end. But when I just look at him as a, as a football player, uh, I just don't think there's anybody any better. I, I mean – you know, he can play running back. He can play wide receiver. He can play uh, tight end. He blocks. Uh, gosh, he's a tackle-breaking machine. Uh, a good friend of mine who's followed Georgia football from a long time believes he's the best Georgia player since Herschel Walker, and that's wow. saying something. Yeah. I, I mean, but I, I tell you what, if I voted for the Heisman today and I, I got three votes, I'd probably put Brock Bowers on there. Apologies to all those quarterbacks out West. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, you just watch him play the game and you think, man, sometimes if I think I'm watching an old film of Red Grange, I didn't cover him, so don't ask. You still in college at that point? If I get I the tiebreaker here, uh, I guess I would go Jaden Daniels. John, um, just because at times LSU, I can't say they're a one-man show because he's got two really good receivers in Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas, but maybe at times LSU's felt like a three-man show uh, with Jaden Daniels as as the star of it. And in many ways, I thought, I, I saw a lot of that LSU-Missouri game as I was waiting for kickoff in College Station, and I thought, you know, Missouri had a real chance to win that game. And it seemed like every time LSU got into third and medium or third and long situations, it was like, mm, 
Jaden Daniels is going to take the snap, run around a little bit, run past the Missouri defenders for a 12-yard gain and move the chains, and, and here we go. And, and we've seen that from him throughout the season. Uh, like you, I thought the Florida State game, he was not at his best. He got outplayed by by Jordan Travis in that game, but he's been sensational since then. Bowers has been really good too. You know, three straight games of 120 plus yards uh, receiving. I think when in doubt though, I, I lean quarterback. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll go with Jaden Daniels, the uh, mid season offensive player of the year with Brock Bowers as our, as a runner up. How about uh, on the other side of the ball, John, you got somebody in mind for defense? Yeah, I would probably go with, uh, a defense that's really been coming on strong, and he's a leader of it. Dallas Turner of Alabama at linebacker last year. The la- actually, the previous two or three seasons, Will Anderson was the Alabama defensive player who turned heads. Uh, Dallas Turner may not be Will Anderson, who was uh, one of the all-time SEC best defensive players, but Dallas Turner is really good, and he's playing at a really high level. He just takes care of business back there, and He's in line with all the really good uh, linebackers Alabama's had through the years. It's had a lot of them. Reggie Ragland, C.J. Mosley, uh, Rolando McClain, on and on. You can come up with guys. Uh, and so he just, it, it, you know, Alabama, when it has that kind of player, you can just, he can cover up. He can make up for some mistakes elsewhere. And I think yeah. that's what. And the other thing with Dallas Turner, John, because I agree, he's got good numbers. I mean, six and a half stats, uh, or excuse me, six and a half sacks and had a couple big ones and that went over Ole Miss. But for me, his play goes beyond the numbers. Like there are times where maybe he doesn't get the tackle, but he blows up the play or he forces the quarterback into an incompletion because he's right in his face and and forces a rush throw. I mean, we saw some of that in the Texas A&M game. We've seen it all season. So he's got good numbers. You know, you look at his sacks and TFL's numbers, um, they're they're really strong. But again, I think this is a guy who, uh, disruptor is the word that comes to mind. Even when he's not making the tackle, he's, he's likely to be blowing up the play. And I think, Blake, he's one of those guys that the opposing offense, the opposing quarterback is kind of looking for. I mean, he you have to be aware of him, where he's lining up, what you think's about to happen. He He's just one of those kind of players. Uh, I really thought at this point we would be talking about Harold Perkins of LSU based on what he did last year as a true freshman, but he's kind of got a different role. He had an interception Saturday, I think, in that game, but he hasn't been the dominant player that he was last season in the different in, in a different role. Now, John, we come to what I know the co- coaching community considers one of the most coveted awards, the SEC football unfiltered midseason coach of the year. Hmm. Who is walking to the stage to receive this honor? I know it's not Mario Cristobal, and it's not just because he doesn't coach in the SEC. He's disqualified himself from all future award consideration. Oh, that was spectacular. Yeah. I'm looking up here at these plaques on my wall and I'm, I'm imagining a name of an sec coach that that belongs on that plaque right now for first six games of the season. 
Do you yeah, wanna... if we would have had this last week, maybe Mark Stoops would have entered our conversation. But uh, you don't get eliminated oh. for life like Mario Cristobal does from award conversations. Uh, but you get eliminated for at least a month, I think, after that beatdown in Athens that Kentucky suffered. So thanks for playing Mark Stoops. But uh, uh, you came in one, t- one week too late on this award conversation. It's almost as though that Kentucky-Georgia game, it picked up where it left off last year. It was in the year I before mean, that. In the year yeah, before yeah, that. I know. But I mean, remember last year, it was like there was some talk. Maybe Kentucky could be a threat. And you had Will Levis at quarterback and the offense was utterly helpless uh, against Georgia, as was its offense and defense Saturday. So we've, we've eliminated Stoops. We've eliminated Cristobal, who wasn't even eligible because he's not in the SEC, but but he, he bears mentioning. Anyway. He, he bears mentioning, yes. Uh, so we got some guys eliminated. Nobody's standing out to you. Um, I'll, I'll throw one out here, John. Uh, and a, it would have been better had Missouri grasped the victory instead of letting it slip through their fingers in the second half on Saturday because it did feel like a game that Missouri could win. And you've made the point earlier in the year, John, that Missouri's crowd has showed you something. As I was watching that game, uh, I don't, unless that was just the ESPN amplifiers, sounded like there was some noise going on there in, in Columbia Mo on Saturday. Uh, so it is with a little bit of an asterisk for Eli Drinkwitz. However, Missouri's sitting at five and one. Um, they beat Kansas State. I know that win does not look as good after Kansas State just lost to Oklahoma State. Uh, but they beat Memphis at a neutral site, and and really, um, you know, I I thought more highly of of Missouri coming into the season than you did, John. But I did not think Brady Cook would be playing quarterback uh, the way he has. I think that Missouri offense has looked substantially better. Um, Eli Drinkwitz brought in an, an offensive coordinator uh, to call the offense, and so maybe sort of process of of elimination here. I don't think there are a lot of great candidates. Um, but you combine that with Missouri's five and one record, and I'm tepidly going with Eli Drinkwitz as midseason coach of the year. Do you object? It's hard to accept. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, yeah, we do. Now I get it. Yeah. But but we don't have a lot of credibility on this podcast anyway. Look at our picks. Yeah, so I, I would probably say, yeah, tepid, as you say. Give him credit for didn't he did he call the plays last season or he did he's he's yeah. called the plays pretty consistently okay. that's what I thought so so actually we're saying less of Eli Drinkwitz is more <laughs> hey, Kirby Moore in fact uh, Kirby Moore yes, so, the offensive coordinator so what he has done is said okay I'm not going to do as much and I'll be better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to work less and get the coveted SEC football and filter gonna, the coach I'm, of the year. I'm going to make more money, work less, and win more games. I mean, what a great country this is. That sounds like a guy who's ready to be a corporate climber. Work less, make more. All right, moving on, John. How about the uh, couple candidates, I feel like, for this one? Let me see which direction you go. The wait till next year award. It's only midseason. I feel like a few spots. It's already in wait till next year mode. Only, only one team can win though. Who's 
Who's the winner of the midseason wait till next year award? Unlike the coaching choice, this is a, a tough one because there are a number of deserving teams. Yes. Mississippi State, LSU, uh, but uh Florida. Got it. Florida's in wait till oh, next year, man. Oh yeah, wait till now wait till t- 2025 for Florida. It's not wait till next year. Uh if we gave a wait till 2025 award, maybe it would be under consideration. Uh but Texas AM, I just yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess we could give Texas A&M this award on an annual basis. Can we go for next year's midseason awards? Would be inappropriate to name Texas A&M as a wait till next year winner next year. We could name them that in like July, I'm sure. The preseason wait till next year award. In fact, maybe we should just name this award after Jimbo Fisher. The Jimbo Fisher Wait Till Next Year Award goes to Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M <laughs> Congrats, Jimbo. You did it again. It's so hard to repeat in sports, and the Aggies have done it. <laughs> yeah, they've already got that three-peat that George is chasing wrapped up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Did you, did you, uh, who, who was your number two in the pecking order in, in your Wait Till Next Year standings? I know we, a lot of good candidates, as we said. Well, I'd have to go with uh, LSU's defense. Just the defense? <laughs> Just the defense. A really upscale offense. I mean, this offense might be the best one LSU's had other than the uh, 2019 Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson juggernaut. Um, yeah, it's like uh, it's almost like they're competing teams. The offense goes up there, rolls up a bunch of yards, scores a bunch of points, goes to the sidelines, and then it's reward for accomplishing all of that. Now you have to watch the defense, which makes me wonder if these guys actually watch the defense. If they just ignore it and they they look at uh, – they talk to their offensive coaches and they study a little bit in between, look at the crowd, anything but watch that defense – I don't know how LSU's defense can be this bad. I knew the secondary could be a problem, but the front seven? Yeah, that that to me is the the real glaring thing too, John. You're, you're right. Defensive backs, I think that's a personnel issue. It should never be a personnel issue at LSU, a, a school that prides itself as DBU and has to give up that moniker uh, in the current iteration. But I, I think it is a personnel issue in the back end that Brian Kelly needs to address uh, through recruiting and the and continued transfers. But in the front defensive front, I, I just can't say it's a personnel issue. I think they got guys up there. Um, it doesn't necessarily look like it. It's interesting. They only allowed only allowed 39 points to Missouri on Saturday. And it felt like, you know, you got that starting pitcher at the back end of your rotation. He's, yeah. he's carting around an ERA of about seven and a quarter but he's durable. He goes out there every fifth day, and he's if he a, can give you, he, he can give you a start where he only gives up four runs in six innings or something. You're like, ooh, he only gave up four runs today. You know, you feel like it's an achievement. That that's LSU's defense right now. They allow 39 points, and I'm saying they only allowed 39 points. Yeah, you call those pitchers innings eaters. Yes. Yeah, he got he ate up six innings, <laughs> gave up. 12 hits, four walks, and eight runs. But look at that, man. We got eight. <laughs> In five we days from all... now, he'll be ready to go out there again. <laughs> yeah, so I guess you could say the defense for LSU is kind of a 
a clock eater, maybe. I, I mean, <laughs> they, sometimes, huh? sometimes they ain't eating up that much clock, though. That's <laughs> true. Uh, so are, we, we wait till next year goes to Texas A&M. How about biggest disappointment then, John? Is that a, is that a good one for LSU's defense? Yeah, I think that's appropriate. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, the, the LSU's defense, only the defense. We don't want to lump in LSU's whole team with that. LSU's defense named the midseason disappointment of the year. Uh, how about your midseason uh, survivalist, John? Someone who's just gutting it out. They're standing in the ring. They're taking the punches, but they're throwing a few back. You got a midseason survivalist? Yeah, it could be the uh, glass, not the glass jaw, the steel jaw award. Mm, the guy I just like keeps taking punches. I used to cover quite a bit of boxing, and I, I, I've seen. I remember watching a heavyweight fight, heavyweight fight in Vegas one time. Uh, what was that guy's name? Eric, Greg Page, guy named James Broadus was basically trying to obliterate him, and he had him in a corner, and I think he must have hit him thirty something straight times, and he didn't go down. And so my Greg Page. Uh, Steel Jaw of the Award, uh, Survivalist Award goes to Spencer Rattler of South Carolina. Mm. Yes, you. I know you've thrown out in on other platforms, John, that you thought Spencer Rattler would have called it a college career at this point and headed off to some far-flung land and begun training in a desert somewhere or something for the NFL. You always see these guys, as soon as their season ends, they surface at some training camp and God knows where, and they're working with some so-called guru, uh, <laughs> helping them complete slant passes or something. Yeah. I, I know you would have thought Rattler would be out in the desert working with a guru. Yeah. At this point. I mean, he was, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, I, I just am amazed that he's remained upright it's almost as though an offensive line, uh, the offensive line, they could do uh, NIL deal with an escort service because it's as though they're escorting the pass rush back to Spencer Rattler. They certainly aren't impeding the rush, and it's almost as though they're enhancing the rush. Come on, guys, he's back here. Follow us. We'll take you to Spencer Rattler. Dare I ask, John, if you have a uh, most impressive team or most surprising team at the midseason? We got our biggest disappointment, LSU's defense. We got Texas A&M as our wait till next year. Do you do you have you you want to anoint anyone as your midseason SEC team of the year? John's still there. He's just I, I, silent I'm, thinking. Yeah, it's it's called dead air in the business, but I'm I'm trying. I, I'm it's the wheels haven't stopped turning. They're flying around. Um gosh, I would probably have to go with Georgia or Auburn. How many games has Auburn won? It beat Cal. It they're beat- they're three and two with a a competitive loss against Georgia. Okay. Well, let's that competitive loss goes a long way with me. I watched every minute of that game. I mean, Auburn just hung in there, rushed for over 200 yards. Yeah, I'll give it to Auburn. Otherwise, I got to just got to give it to Georgia. And I mean, do we really need to give Georgia another award? I mean, it, think about it. If you call the media relations director, Georgia, 
call him up and 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 say, hey, uh, uh, we want just wanted to let you know that uh, we've our, our SEC unfiltered has given Georgia the SEC team of the midseason award. I mean, do you think Claude Felton would? And he's a great sports information director. But I, you know, Claude's so nice. He would probably say, "Oh, geez, that's great, guys. Hey, thanks so much. I'll pass that along to the coaches." And then he would pretend it never happened. Well, Kirby Smart, John said uh, he didn't know who Miley Cyrus was. If Kirby's never heard of Miley, I guarantee you he's never heard of SEC football unfiltered. Okay. I mean, I know we're operating more in his space, but I'm thinking if he's unaware of Miley. He's unaware of Blake and John. <laughs> much so, as he well, yeah, well as much I mean, he should be you, aware of it. Well, do you have? I mean, do you have a team? Who 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 do you look at? Huh? I mean, I guess I'd go Georgia by default. Uh, I'm not big on awarding teams for competitive losses, although point taken about Auburn, I thought that game would be something more of a blowout. And I'm also not. Uh, not real big on handing folks awards just for beating the boys from Berkeley. I mean, it's Berkeley, John. What? <laughs> What's football they, to Berkeley? <laughs> they take off their clothes and climb into trees there. Uh, exactly. What exactly. What about, since we bestowed a huge honor on Eliar or Eli Drinkwitz, what about Missouri? I, I mean, I know you don't like losers, and it lost LSU on its home field Saturday. But did anybody think Missouri would be five and one right now? Yeah, I mean their September schedule—it's not the toughest in the conference. But uh, hey, they rolled through September five and zero, oh, and that's why Eli is uh, our midseason coach of the year, thanks to his hire of Kirby Moore to some degree. Could you that, say that when, when you say our coach of the year, could you say that with a little more enthusiasm next time? Uh, absolutely. Next mid season, John, I'll dial up the enthusiasm. Okay. Wait, wait till next year. Yeah, just okay. Like Jim, Jimbo's Aggies. Uh, let's go further into that direction, John, because there were three games that I thought were really sort of the on the radar games last weekend, Alabama, Texas, A&M, Kentucky at Georgia, and Missouri uh, against LSU. Now, for Kentucky and Missouri, they were undefeated. This was their big moment, their chance to take down, you know, the the name brand for Georgia, number one team. LSU, yeah, they were reeling, but still beating LSU registers uh, as a big win in Como. So they were in the spotlight. Also, Texas A and M was this finally the time. Uh, that they could ascend to the top of the SEC West. We've seen Jimbo beat Nick once, so I can't say finally the time Jimbo would beat Nick, but is this finally Texas A&M's time? And all three of those teams, um, they came up short, some more so than others. Kentucky embarrassed itself in Athens, and Mark Stoops pretty much, he said basically that. Uh, Embarrassing, humiliating, use whatever adjective you want. That's what Kentucky was on Saturday. Um, Missouri and Texas A&M, I don't know that they embarrass themselves, John, but they, they let big moments slip through their fingers. So I don't know which one of those three kind of stands out to you. Well, linger in your mind of, uh, you know, a team kind of squandering its, its opportunity in the, in the big stage. 
Well, we've pretty much uh, shredded A and M for its failure. We sure have. We, yeah, I don't. I don't. Well, no, I do like piling on, but I won't in this case. Uh, Kentucky. Let's face it. We didn't know how good Kentucky was. Yeah, it beat Florida, dismantled Florida, but Florida's not very good. We don't. But boy, that was a that was a huge huge drop off going from a a rousing win uh, in Lexington uh, to a uh, what happened in Athens just just brutal. It, it was almost as though Georgia came out and on the before the very first snap. Uh, Georgia's center looked at the Kentucky line and said, Hey, you know, you're Kentucky, right? <laughs> just a, just a subtle reminder of what about what's about to happen. But I think opportunity loss with me goes more to Missouri because Missouri was not embarrassed, but it really could have won that game. It could have beaten LSU. Yeah. Awful defense for LSU, but a really skilled offense. And Missouri's up by 15 points. And I thought it had a real shot at winning that game. And I thought it played pretty well on offense, really well, actually. But in games like that, uh, against a team that can score the way LSU can, you just, it's not enough to move the ball up and down the field. You've got to capitalize with every opportunity. Missouri couldn't quite do that. But again, the crowd was into it. Missouri's looking like an SEC program right now. Never thought I'd say that, but it is. That's a team with two division crowns, John. You're insulting. I know I am, but... Okay. <laughs> you don't, you don't I put that. those behind me. <laughs> okay. That was a long time ago. Yeah, buddy. you're living in the here and now. Yeah. It's... What do you think about... A um, couple things... Like you said, we're not above piling on here. A couple things I, w- I wanted your thoughts on with the A&M-Alabama game, John. Uh, number one, if I would have told you after, mm, say, the Texas game, that Jalen Milroe would be the best thing Alabama has going for it, particularly on offense, but Milrow plus the defensive line won that game. For Alabama, I know he threw a critical, you know, what could have been a critical interception, but he was the better quarterback, and the team with the better quarterback won. He and Jermaine Burton formed quite a connection. Milro played really well on Saturday. So, would you have believed it? I would have told you after the Texas game that Milro would be the star of the show by midseason. That's my first question. My I didn't second even question, think he would. I didn't even think he'd be the starter. Go ahead. Okay, my my second question is, what was Jimbo doing? Late in the third quarter, fourth and one, tie game, punting from the Alabama 45-yard line. I mean, is this 1972? That, that seemed like football strategy from 50 years ago. Fourth and one, tie game. You got a chance to reclaim momentum, land one on the chin of mighty Alabama. I know it's been a struggle running the ball, but you got a couple of supposed gurus in Jimbo and Bobby Petrino. They can't put their heads together on how to get one yard to to seize control in a, in a tie game in inside Alabama territory, and then oh no, they punted the ball into the end zone. Whoop de do! You gained twenty five yards of field position, and Alabama scored six plays later, and 
game over. Alabama wins. So those those are the two things I'm throwing out, out there at you. Jalen Milrow and Jimbo's fourth down strategy. Jalen Milrow had already proved to us he could be a really good runner. He'd also proved to us that he's got an accurate touch on the deep ball. So that gave him some credibility, but I thought he'd lost his job after Texas. Didn't know if he'd get it back, but uh, really a credit to him for how he's turned it around. I think sometimes we place too much emphasis on interceptions thrown by a quarterback. I know they can be game changers, but to me, you still have to look at the total body of work. He passed for over 300 yards. And you know the defense has to constantly be cognizant of his running the ball. That's got to be a main concern of it because he won't just run 10 yards. He'll run 70. So all that considered, the questions, and they came up during the broadcast, well, not that accurate on intermediate throws, short throws. We don't know about that. Well, he was Saturday against a good defense. So all the credit in the world to him. And I'll give uh, Tommy Reese, Alabama offensive coordinator, who's taken some hits this season, uh, give him some credit too for building the offense around Jalen Milrow. That's how the tide rolls from now on. Uh, you, Whatever flaws he might have, you accept those and try to do what's best to give him an opportunity to do what he does best, and that's, make plays. And he certainly did that. Um, the offense is, that, that was stunning to me. It wasn't Mario Cristobal stunning, but it was stunning. Uh, that third quarter decision, the punt you're talking about Jimbo's. Punt. Yeah. The yeah. Jimbo's punt. I, I think you have to have an aware awareness and I'm not a, I'm not one of these guys that believe you always go for it. Now, some of these coaches have taken that to an extreme in today's game. That's fourth and one. We got to prove our manhood here. We got No, if you don't think you can make it, let's don't do it. It's not a concession of defeat. You've got the home crowd on your side. You don't have to worry about what Alabama did, seven or eight false starts because of crowd noise. Uh, even if you don't make it, it's not as though it's in Alabama suddenly within field goal range. I think coaches need a feel for things like that. They they have to have a sense of when to do it and when not. And maybe Jimbo just didn't have a feel for it. But if not, then when? You just, A&M just needed something. You, you know, and the thing about it, if you make that first down with Anaya Smith and uh, Evan Stewart, at those wide-out positions, you might throw a ball up for grabs, and one of them grabs, it comes down, breaks a tackle, and runs for a touchdown. You've got the ball. you got a shot. I, I just thought it was a really bad strategy. And I wonder what Bobby Petrino in the press hmm. box thought about it. Maybe he concurred, but he's a pretty aggressive play caller. Yeah, I like that line too, John. If you got the ball, you got a shot. And, and it was a tie game. Alabama's defense – you know, coming on, you didn't know how many more shots you were going to get against them. And you knew you had to score at least once more to win the game. It's not like they were up by seven or up by a field goal. You couldn't just hang your hat on the defense and go win the game. You had to score at least once more. You were 15 yards from field goal range, 45 yards from the end zone, one yard from a first down, and he punted. And the interesting thing was Jimbo was asked about his decision to go for fourth down earlier in the game. 
Um, fourth and one, he called a pass play. Alabama got a good pass rush. They didn't convert it. That play was from the Alabama 19-yard line in the first quarter. And Jimbo said, quote, playing to win. Well, what changed between quarter one and quarter three? And, and, and you're not playing to win anymore? You're playing to punt? I tell you what changed. Uh, the game got tight. Alabama started playing well. And, and I think Jimbo got tight. And he, he coached defensively rather than sticking with that aggression and play to win mindset that he had in the first quarter. And yeah, it's easy to criticize guys after their fourth down calls backfire, but I really thought this was textbook fourth and one from Alabama's 45 yard line tie game late third quarter. I think you got to take a shot there. You got, you got to go for it with come up with your best fourth down play, put your heads together with Bobby P bring Max Johnson into the conversation. If you want and say, Hey, what do we feel good about here? getting three or four feet to move the chains and they didn't do it. And by the time they got the ball back, they were behind by seven on the scoreboard. They're playing catch up the whole rest of the way. It's almost, you almost wonder if Jimbo was influenced by his first failure because Mm -hmm. he didn't make that fourth and one. And what a coach is constantly preach, have a short memory, put a bad play behind you. It's gone. Can't get it back. Move on. But I don't think he moved on. Yeah, I watch guys at the blackjack table, John. They hit on 16 and they bust one time. Same situation will come up 30 minutes later with a fresh shoe and they won't hit it. And I'll say, well, why? you hit this last time. Why aren't you hitting it? Well, I busted last time. Really? Is that going to influence the card that comes out this time? But it lingers in the brain and some guys just can't get over that, you know? Well, it was a, a crucial call. And, of course, we're not saying A&M wins that game if it makes it makes True. it first down, yeah. but it does, it does have a shot and you know, it would re have reinvigorated the crowd. And I, and I think the team as a whole, Alabama had seized momentum. That was a chance to turn it back and steady punted it into the end zone, but we'll move on and we'll move on to, um, our failures or at least my failure last weekend, because now we come to the pick segment and my lead is, uh, whittling away. John, as you predicted it would, you're right about that. I went one and five for the second straight week. I am now below 500 in my picks against the spread record this year. I'm 15, 17, and one. You went three and three. That brings you to 12, 19, and two. The battle for 500 continues. It's like this week. It's, it's like a. It's like a Vanderbilt football story or something. The yeah. battle five hundred for 500 continues Saturday. Yeah, it's like trying to pick a midseason SEC coach of the year. And uh, yeah, and Blake, I was so far down this time. I don't know. It's like I gained ground going three and three. I thought I had a really bad week. I was wrong on that A&M game. And, and here you go, one and five. So this is going to be – I don't think anybody will win our competition. I think somebody will lose it. Kind of like last year, really. Yeah, race to the bottom. Well, uh, I sort of blame Missouri for one of my losses. They had that game or against the spread. They were getting six yes. and a half points. Oh. It was wrapped up. I was already marking that one down for me in the in the win column. Um, Missouri had other ideas with a pick six there late. Uh, all right, here we go. First off, John, Arkansas is at Alabama. Alabama is a 19 and a half point favorite. Now, if this was the Alabama of old, you'd say, come on, 
<laughs> spread yeah. like that, they'll win by 35, cover it going away. Not so much with this team. Uh, you see those big spreads, and they don't always cover those numbers with the South Florida comes to mind. So uh, you can you went 3-3 three and three last week. You get to bat leadoff. Alabama, 19.5-point favorite. Arkansas is uh, misery's begetting more misery. Um, I don't think the team is as bad as its record, though. Uh, it may not prove that. May not prove that against Alabama. We talked about what's Alabama's greatest strength. It's really Jalen Milrow making plays. I don't want Jalen Milrow running a lot against Arkansas. This, to me, is a game you can control. You can win comfortably without any sweat. Let's don't run Jalen Milrow to death. Let's save him for for what's to come. So I'm going to take 19 and a half points and go with those hog hats. I'm doing the same, John. Arkansas is going to be that champion for me against the spread. It was the only game I got right last week. I took Arkansas on the points against Ole Miss. I'm riding the hogs again with 19 and a half points. I'm going to look up at the end of the season. Arkansas might be eight and four against the spread and five and seven uh, in the actual win loss column. That's, that's sort of what I'm banking on with Arkansas here. Uh, how about a, a battle for the weed whacker bowl? I feel like this is a huge game between Florida and South Carolina in terms of those teams quests to scratch and claw their way to six wins. Uh, Florida's got the better record so far, but South Carolina is playing host, and that's why they are a two and a half point favorite, despite their two and three record compared to Florida's four and two. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go first here, and I'm going with the home team, um, neutral site. I think I like Florida better. Both these teams have their share of warts. I think South Carolina might have a few more, but uh, I like that home crowd there. South Carolina, so I will take the home team to cover the two and a half. Well, if I thought you could line up that home crowd behind <laughs> South Carolina's offensive line, give a kind of a buffer zone between the line of scrimmage and quarterback Spencer Rattler, I'd agree with you. I think Florida's defensive front's pretty good, and a defensive front can dominate South Carolina. I know That's South true. Carolina's better at home, but gosh, I, I just can't. When I think of the bad South Carolina games I've seen this year, and there have been several, uh, I just can't. I don't care. I just can't pick it. And, and Florida's no world beater. That's for sure. Uh, but I like the, like the Gators. And uh, um, for some strange reason, other than Cal, I, you know what? Graham Mertz is – if you gave him the same pressure that Spencer Rattler had, I don't think he would be completing 70% of his passes. Uh, I don't think so. But he has been far better than either one of us uh, yes. expected. Yes, if we were has. going to give some sort of midseason award for uh, pr- proving the media wrong award, Graham Mertz might be my midseason recipient of that. Um all right, John. How about two five and one teams in Lexington? I, I almost had, I almost had my my travel plans made, John. If only Missouri had beaten LSU and Kentucky had upset Georgia, I would be Lexington bound on Saturday. Uh, that of course didn't happen, so I'll be covering Texas A and M and Tennessee. 
However, two five and one teams will be playing in Lexington. Kentucky, two and a half point favorite against your Missouri Tigers. Who are you taking? My Missouri Tigers. Um, I watched both games last week, and I can't shake that Kentucky debacle against Georgia. Missouri has a pretty good offense. You mentioned earlier that Brady Cook is playing really well. In fact, Blake, he's he's playing better than Devin Leary is, Kentucky's quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I think that will be the difference uh, even on the road. I'll, I'll go with Missouri to win on the road, go up to 6-1. and one. Mm, And Drinkwitz will be in need of that midseason Coach of the mm-hmm. Year award. No doubt he can share it with Kirby Moore. I like, I like what you said about drink. Work less. Get more praise. Less is more of the uh, of the drink in Columbia. Uh, I am taking. I'm just sticking with my theme of taking the home team in these tight spread games. Uh, so I will go with Kentucky. They'll have to cover the two and a half points. But I'm going to put the Georgia game out of my mind. Remember that Florida game, the last time we saw Kentucky at home. So I will take the take the Cats, uh, which leaves me vulnerable in a couple games here against you we're going opposite directions in a couple uh how about auburn at lsu lsu is an 11 point favorite i know how vulnerable their defense is i don't know how much auburn though of all teams can take advantage auburn ground game looked good against georgia i'll give them that but i still like this lsu offense a lot uh, i don't trust auburn's offense so i uh, with hesitance, think LSU can win by 14-plus. I will take LSU in that one. I will too, Blake. Uh, if you're going to beat LSU, if you're going to exploit its vulnerable defense, you do it throwing the ball. That's the best way to do it. And I just don't think Auburn throws it well enough. Um, so what worked against uh, Georgia with those zone read, quarterback runs, It'll get it'll eat up some clock and it'll it'll gain some yards against LSU. Man, LSU can score quick and they're playing in Tiger Stadium. Uh LSU fans probably be wearing paper bags over their heads when the defense takes the field. But uh I uh, I like LSU as you do. As you said, John, maybe that LSU defense can just be clock eaters like that baseball innings eater just just eat some clock out there maybe force some field goals rather than touchdowns let the let the offense take care of the rest yeah the lsu defense when it takes a field should be chanting field goal field goal field goal (laughs) it's like a four-point win every time out right (laughs) trade trade lsu touchdowns for the opponent field goals uh all right the game i will be at uh on on saturday and I know we'll be prominently on your radar as well, John. The wait till next year, Aggies coming to Neyland Stadium, Tennessee, three and a half point favorites. Now the Vols, well, they're the recipient of the eight played nobody award at, at the midseason. I mean, t- Tennessee's schedule five games in. They had their open date last week. Five games in, boy, Tennessee sure hasn't played much. I guess their toughest game was at the Swamp. It sure looked that way in real time. Florida, despite uh, really any logic, kind of had their way with the Vols that night. The Swamp working its magic as it usually does against Tennessee. So really, you know, in Tennessee's one spotlight game, it flopped. But nonetheless, it's the three-and-a-half-point favorite against reeling Texas A&M. What do you think? 
Yeah, Tennessee's best win was that route of South Carolina. It is yet to beat a team with a winning record. Uh, <clears throat> so I just think if A&M had won the Alabama game, I I would pick it to beat uh, Tennessee. However, I will take those three, three and a half points. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll take three and a half points and take Texas A&M. Okay, so you're you're trying to thread the needle of a Vols victory, but AM loses by a field goal. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm taking the points as well. This this feels like a bit of a coin flip game to me. Um, I think Texas AM they have the more talent. I think they're better at most positions. Uh, Neyland Stadium, as we've seen throughout Josh Heupel's tenure, though, can be the great equalizer. That place really wasn't all that daunting for several years, despite being in you know, this huge venue, it's got a lot of crowd noise. It really wasn't all that tough for opponents to come in and kneel and walk out uh, victorious, sometimes walk out uh, with a blowout victory. That's changed since Heupel's got there. I and mean, we saw him beat Alabama at home last year. So I do think Neyland, uh balances out some of that uh, talent that uh, A&M has, but still in a coin flip game, I'm going to take the team getting three and a half points. So I also will take, the Aggies. I think Blake on the crowd. I, if even though Tennessee hasn't won a, a really significant game, the crowd has every reason to still be optimistic and into this season because heck, it's still in the pretty much in the running for everything. Uh, I mean, we don't expect it to make the college football playoff, but mathematically, it's still right there. The loss to Florida, you beat. Uh, you win out and you you're SEC East champions. So I think the crowd will be a big factor in that game. All right, John, how about a lock of the week? You've stepped outside the power five for the group of five a couple weeks in a row and it's burned you. So are you going to trot out some obscure game again this week? Or are you going mainstream? No, I've learned my lesson. Uh, slow learner picking Georgia state one week and, uh, who were those ne'er-do-wells I picked uh, last Colorado week? State. Oh, Colorado State. I didn't just lose those picks. Both of those teams were hammered. I mean, Yeah, you got on. Kentuckied down in Athens. Yes, I did. I feel like Mark Stoops. I embarrassed myself. I it just, yeah. Uh, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. One of my teachers told me that once as a kid. So going back to where I belong, Going back to the, you know, where I have a, a better working knowledge, uh, back to the baseline of uh, Vanderbilt Stadium. Those can see those cranes in the background, bunch of guys with hard hats milling around, uh, red and black just all over the stadium. Georgia will be in town and it's only a 31 and a half point favorite, I think. I just, I mean, only. that's, yeah, that's, yeah. If you've got a top 10 team, this is one of my rules, a top 10 team playing against Vanderbilt and you don't have to, and you don't have to give 35 points, then you take the top 10 team. And that's what I'll do. I'll take Georgia. Words to live by. They talk about dangerous places to play. John, da- dangerous <laughs> venues to play. Yes. If it were me, I mean, I'd have Vanderbilt at the top of the list. 
Yeah, those cranes <laughs> around, those guys in hard hats, hard at work. Uh, yeah. Ranked near the top of my list. I know. Thank what you. happens if a brick falls on your quarterback's head going into the stadium? He could be yeah, then done. George for only the year. wins by twenty points. <laughs> yeah, you could go into concussion protocol before the game even starts. There. Golly. Yeah. Well, for more on that, go over to our Vanderbilt podcast if that still exists. Probably not. Uh, my lock of the week, John. Boy, I suffered a couple of heartbreakers last week. That Missouri one, I thought I had that one wrapped up six and a half points until the end. And then Maryland was looking so good. I mean, I had Maryland at 19 and a half. They're in a dogfight with Ohio State going into the fourth quarter. I'm just loving it. I thought this is easy lock. Well, Ohio State outscored them 17 nothing in the fourth. Maryland loses by 20. And I lost my lock of the week. But you know, I'm not as big on second chances as... Some folks in our profession, John, uh, some college football fans out there. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter what your crime is. Good coach, eh, second chance, bring him on down. I'm, I'm not maybe as big on that as others, but I'm not ready to write off the Terps yet. I'll give him one more chance because uh, Maryland, 13 and a half point favorites against my home state, Illinois. Seen a little Illinois football this year. And, uh, it's about yeah. time for basketball season for the Illini. I think it's it's brutal. So it <clears throat> go ahead. Yeah, thirteen and a half points. I'm taking Maryland to cover the thirteen and a half. Is it my imagination, or is uh, Brett Bielema put on a few pounds since he's been with the Illini? Could be. You know, so they say sometimes people eat their feelings, right? And I, you have to be feeling pretty down here in Champaign lately. So maybe you're onto something. He. You know, Illinois' defense isn't really that bad, is it? No, their offense is terrible, but their defense. Yeah, isn't I, that I bad. know that, but I think they got a really good defensive lineman, I think. But yeah, I'm. Uh, see, I don't subscribe to the same theory. I mean, do you think I'll ever pick Georgia State again? Do you think I'll ever pick Colorado State again? Those programs are dead to me. I won't even pick up pick them next year. This is more a pick against Illinois than it is for Maryland. Maryland just happens to be the oh, okay. the team on the other side of that line this okay. week. We'll see how I do. We'll see uh, if you can close some ground, John, as uh, the quest for 500 continues on Saturday. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.